time. Our scripture reading today was wonderfully read by our brother, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17. And we are going to really predominantly come from the book of Revelation today. Um, and really, this is more of a lesson than a sermon. We're going to go through some texts and really establish some things. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17. The Bible says, and the dragon was wrought with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. They keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Our message this Sabbath is entitled Apologetics, Remnant or Occult? Remnant or Occult? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. Lord, you know once again that I can only ask to be a nail. And I ask, Lord, that you hammer that nail into the wall with your Holy Spirit. And upon that nail, Father, I ask that you hang a portrait of Jesus Christ. Let Eric Walsh not be seen or heard. We, we don't need to hear from me today, Lord. We need a word from the throne room of grace. This, Lord, is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. So one of the things, and normally I'd start with a Bible story, but we're going to get right into the subject matter today, that has challenged me growing up as a Seventh-day Adventist. And my, my grandmother's mother was converted to Adventism on the island of Jamaica. And um, to this day, uh, anyone who visits the island of Jamaica would be surprised at how many churches in general there are on the island. Uh, it's probably one of the most churched places in the world. But specifically, I think still the largest uh, denomination is the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Being the Seventh-day Adventist Church, there are a lot of things. One of the things that, that is surprising is that the Seventh-day Adventist Church has the second largest parochial school system in the world, or church schools in the world, and the second largest health system or hospital system in the world, only behind the Catholic Church. Now, there are only you know, maybe 20 million, I don't know what the final numbers are now, a uh, little over 20 million Seventh-day Adventists in the world. There are over a billion Catholics, and it's the Catholic Church that has the largest parochial system and the largest hospital healthcare system in the world. So it's a pretty surprising group of people. Um, I could go on and on about that, but I don't think that's as relevant as why we are Adventists. And one of the things that has always come to, 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 to kind of assail itself against us is the accusation that the Seventh-day Adventist Church is not really a church and should not be called a denomination, but that we are a cult. And some of the Christian groups, they will say we're not a cult, we're a sect, uh, because we don't believe everything mainstream Christians believe. Uh, but there are many who call us a cult. And if you can't defend why you are a Seventh-day Adventist, which is why we're doing this whole series on apologetics, you're in trouble. If you go online and look these things up, they attack the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are attacked in ways nobody else is, honestly. Um, and we're going to talk more about even the spirit of prophecy in Ellen White. But there are serious charges and, 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 and misgivings made about um, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, the founding fathers, the reason we exist. So many inaccuracies and blatant, bold lies that what they really want to do is clip the wings of this church. And I want to show you today that there's a reason that disproportionately heat comes against the church that in, but just based on size and numbers really shouldn't be a threat to anyone. But there is a reason that the enemy comes against our church. So let's go first to the definition of the word cult. And so a cult is defined as a system of religious veneration and devotion directed toward a particular figure or object. The cult of St. Olaf is a good example of that. Um, I don't know what the cult of St. Olaf is, but you know, someone will say it's, this is the cult of Apple because they like iPhones and Macs, you know. So they, a cult is a group who just strong beliefs about something. The next one is a relatively small group of people having religious be beliefs or practices regarded by others as strange or sinister. A network of satanic worshiping cults. The next one, a misplaced or excessive admiration for a particular person or thing, a cult of personality surrounding the leaders. And so when you look at all of these, you realize that the, where uh, Adventists are probably most, try, they try to align us is in that second definition. 
a relatively small group of people having religious beliefs or practices regarded by others as strange or sinister. Normally what a cult has is a leader that everyone follows. And we've seen that. I, I was going to put up slides again. I've showed some not too long ago of um, Jim Jones. Some of you would remember, you may be alive long, remember Jim Jones took a group of believers from the Bay Area in California to Guyana and set up Jonestown and um, ultimately um, caused them to drink the Kool-Aid. That's where that term comes from. And in it was cyanide poisoning and all of those people perished. Their devotion to him led them to that place. Um, there are others. There was the Heaven's Gate. I showed that slide not too long ago as well in San Diego, California. And the gentlemen taught, the leaders taught that a spaceship was coming and that if they killed themselves, they would be caught up into the spaceship um, and, you know, live forever in some celestial plane. Um, that's not what happened. Uh, they died in that mansion in San Diego. So when someone says you're a cult, it comes with these connotations of something nefarious. I want you to understand what I'm saying. To make and levy a charge that a group of people is a cult is a very um, unnerving accusation. And it is one of the reasons many people try to distance themselves from us. Now, I, 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 I don't get a chance to get into this, but one of the interesting things is that the scripture itself says that we are to be a peculiar people, a royal priesthood. Let me tell you something. By default, if in a world of sin, if you follow the word of God, you are going to be viewed as strange. If you decide to make Jesus your all and the Bible is going to be the, uh, the sola scriptura, the only thing you follow, you this world is going to hate you. Jesus says, do not be surprised if they hate you for they hated me. So I'm not shocked. In fact, if I was a part of a denomination that no one disliked, I'd wonder if I'm in the right place. We are attacked and chided. I get it. It's tiring and it's difficult. I, I was talking to um, a therapist this week and she was telling me how she's had these wonderful um, experiences with the Adventist church. She's not Adventist. She's telling me about um, even some of the health uh, programs that we've had in the Willimantic church, how she's attended and been blessed by them. Not an Adventist. And I told her that this was the message I was doing this Sabbath. And she was telling me of another therapist that she knows that's also Christian who was invited to something out of in his church and said they would never go because they're a cult. And she convinced her to go participate in this event at the church. Go, go sit. Someone had invited her to something at the church and she went. And before this was all over, the woman who thought we were a cult was participating in the health programs of the church. Even going into the streets with the health ministry, helping to bring people in to get their word about our health message. Part of the problem and part of the reason the devil wants our church to look nefarious and evil. Why it is that when people leave our church, many of them have such a demonic anger back toward the denomination is because Satan is trying to seal people away from a very important truth. I should say an important set of truths that our church has. So there's an attack because these are inconvenient truths in a world that has decided that sin should happen no matter what. That the only law, according to um, the, the occultist uh, Alistair Crowley, the only law should be do as thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. And yet there is a group of people, a small group of people who are holding up the bloodstained banner of Jesus Christ. We are not the remnant because of our schools or churches. We're not the remnant because of our organization or the fancy conference offices and GC offices we have. All of that can be forfeited. We are the remnant because of what we believe and what that belief does to us. So let's go back to the book of Revelation. Chapter 12, verse 1. There appeared a great wonder in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. Who does the woman represent? She represents the church. And if I had time, I would show you from Zephaniah and Jeremiah, and where Jeremiah calls um, Zion, and Zion is a woman. And the church is often represented 
as a woman. And we are told plainly in the New Testament that the church is the bride of Christ. Amen. So this woman represents the church. She does not, it does not represent the Virgin Mary. Verse two, and she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. Verse three says, and there appeared another wonder in heaven and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns upon his heads. Who is that? Ultimately, the dragon is the devil. And so the devil did not want this woman's child to be born. Now watch this. Verse four gives you more definition as to who this is, or more detail, I should say. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Who is the child? Jesus. Was the devil standing ready to devour the child as soon as it was born? Absolutely. In fact, uh, many boy children died in Bethlehem and in the surrounding areas at the time of the birth of Christ. Uh, Herod was hoping to just throw something up against the wall and get Jesus. So he, he slaughtered all of those innocent children. One other point in verse four that is important to, to get is the Bible gives a detail it doesn't need to give. It says, and his tail, the tail of this dragon drew the third part of the stars of heaven. Who do those stars represent? Angels. I don't have time to get into the deep, so I'm glad you guys have given answers. Right? So a third of the angels. Let me tell you why that's important. Because if you know math, if one third of the angels fell, how many stayed? So for every demon, how many of angels does God have? Ah, oh, you're on the right side of the numbers in heaven. For every demon on this earth, God has two angels. Which is one of the reasons why you don't have to fear spiritual things. Because the God of heaven, when Jesus was going to the cross, Peter cut off the high priest Malchus, uh, uh, high priest servant Malchus's ear. Jesus turns to Peter and he says, don't you understand if I needed to, I could have called 10,000 angels. If Jesus didn't want to go to the cross, he didn't have to go to the cross. There is a, a distinct and um, deliberate advantage that we have if we follow God because the numbers in heaven, the numbers may not be on our side on earth. There might only be a few million of us on earth, however many the numbers are, and of the billions of people in the world. But guess what? In the spiritual realm, you are among the majority. She wanted to, he wanted to devour the child. Verse five, and she brought forth a man child who is Jesus. And look at the description of Jesus. I love it. Who was to rule all nations with a rod of a rod of iron. And her child was caught up into God and to his throne. So this basically is a encapsulates the life of Christ, right? He was born. He was designed. He was destined to rule. Did he leave the earth a ruler? Absolutely. He left this earth king of kings and lord of lords. The disciples kept waiting to see if he was even at his ascension. They asked, when are you going to establish the kingdom of Israel? And the angel said, no, he's going up. They wanted that. But you know what he did on earth? He took death captive. He got the keys to the kingdom. When Jesus came out of the grave, that was it. Satan no longer had control over a lot of things. So he left ruling this earth. Remember, up until this time, Lucifer was the prince of this earth. But when Jesus left, the, all of that all of that authority in terms of title, it was transferred back to Jesus so that the rest of Revelation 12 reads very differently. So Jesus ascends. He goes up to the throne. Verse 6, And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had the place prepared of God, and they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. That is one that translates to 1,260 days. And we're going to show you, like we showed you earlier, that's 1,260 years. So after Jesus ascends, there is an attack on the church, that woman, and the woman it has to hide. And this is how long the woman has to hide. So then something happens at the cross. That's what Revelation 12, 7 is really talking about. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought and his angels. Some people say this is not talking about what happened at the cross. But keep reading and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. Remember that before in the book of Job, Lucifer was able to go to heaven and 
and actually talk to God and accuse Job of stuff. In verse 9, the Bible says that the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So uh, Jesus says, I saw Satan like lightning fall from the earth. So he was cast out where he had to be on earth before. But now he was cast out and he couldn't go back. It changes the spiritual warfare. The whole dynamic is different because the Bible says in verse eight, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. But that switches it. Because in verse 10, it says, and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is salvation, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God, the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. No longer could Satan accuse before God in heaven, like he does in the beginning of the book of Job. Let me tell you, that ought to liberate you, church. Satan wants to accuse you. That means I'm not going to accuse you because I don't want to do Satan's work for him. And I don't want you playing the tapes in your own head of your own mistakes and your own failures. He was cast down. His accusations have no more power because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So I don't want you to beat yourself up. He can't beat you up. Why are you beating yourself up? Verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. He had to have died on the cross because they overcome him by the blood he shed, by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. And so as the people of God begin to get attacked, they overcome. They live a victorious life. And that is the early church, the church of Ephesus. Uh, of, of Revelation chapter 2, the apostolic church. The original church is a church that overcame. It is a church that lived victoriously over sin. It was a church that did away with selfishness, that had the right doctrines. They believed in baptism by immersion. They believed in the seven-day Sabbath. The Bible is clear that the apostles kept the Sabbath. Paul, as it says, and from one Sabbath to the next, went into the synagogue and he, and he taught uh, Jesus, as his custom was, went into the synagogue on the Sabbath. They kept the commandments. They, they, they believed like, uh, like the scripture teaches to believe. They did not teach the immor immortality of the soul. All of these truths were attached to that original apostolic church. And it is relevant because whatever church is going to be the remnant church must believe as they believe. So then there's a warning given. First, there's a celebration, Revelation 12, 12. Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. And look at what the prophet says here. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. Warning, for the devil is come down unto you, having what? Great wrath, because he knows he has what? A short time. When Jesus died on the cross, and when he went into the tomb, Satan set up shop outside of the tomb. At Galgotha, he uh, 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 outside of the tomb. In fact, he had Roman soldiers placed outside the tomb. He tried everything. And if there were soldiers outside the tomb, you know there were demons outside the tomb. And they stood there like like the front line of a great uh, uh, football team, ready to block anything from coming out. The throne was sealed, the, 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 the tomb was sealed, and, they knew, and Satan finally uh, uh, reveling in his victory. He had watched Jesus mocked and beaten, spat upon, and crucified. A cruel death. Satan was in his glory. And all he had to do now was keep him in the tomb. Ah, but he couldn't. Jesus didn't just get up and wake up from the dead. Jesus cleaned up the room, folded up the dead burial cloth, and Put him neatly in the corner. And he got out. The soldiers fell as dead men. The angel of God rolled back the stone. Jesus got out and he cried out. He cried, I am the resurrection and the life. And in that moment, all power over death and hell was, was given to Jesus. That was it. And when Satan saw that Jesus got up out of that tomb, he knew his time was short. He was going to redouble his efforts and try and wipe out every, every taint 
and every hint of the work of Christ on earth. He wanted to annihilate those early Christians and he went after them with a furious pace. We get a, a hint of it from the Apostle Paul himself who went after the Christians. They stoned Stephen. The anyone they could get their hands off, that was demonically driven. Verse 13. When the dragon saw that he was cast out into the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. Verse 14. Unto the woman were given two wings of a great eagle. And this is this goes back to Old Testament imagery, meaning with great speed, that she might fly into the wilderness. The wilderness represents that is a disorganization. It represents hiding away. Some argue that it represents the Americas and other parts of the world that weren't as densely populated as Europe um, would be uh, at the time uh, when the church would be under its greatest um, persecution. But she, she took off and she flew into the wilderness, meaning she had to hide into her place where she was nourished. And here it is for a time, a times and a half a time from the face of the serpent. In a previous message, we outlined that this time, times and a half a time, I'll show you it again, is 1,260 years. So you see that same time frame again. And she's hidden away during that time. The Bible says here, and the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And so Satan wanted to destroy the Christian church. And one of the things that this water represents is false doctrine. So one of the ways that the dragon tried to destroy the early church is to inundate it with false doctrines. And all of a sudden, these doctrines started to pop up in the church. And all of a sudden, they questioned the deity of Christ. They, they began to question um, um, the state of the dead. They, they started, you know, all these things that happened. The, the solemnity of the Sabbath was removed and Sunday became a day of worship. I could go on and on. But by flooding the church with these false doctrines, it was the way to try and destroy the church. But the Bible says in verse 16, and the earth helped the woman. The earth opened up her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And again, there are those who argue that this would have been like North America, where you could have gone, and we, or in other parts of the world, we'll talk about, where you could go and you could uh, worship in freedom and in liberty without the threat of punishment, as we're going to see happen to the church that stayed in Europe. Revelation 12 and verse 17, And the dragon was wrought with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So we are looking at the idea. So again, we are, we are accused of being a cult. But let me tell you something. I could, I could go into why, you know, what the definition of a cult. You'd have to have a leader that the cult follows. One of the telltale signs that we are not a cult is what just happened at our general conference session. We make decisions in our church democratically. You know, the highest body in our church here locally is the church in, at business meetings. If we all come together, we can vote and make decisions. There is no arbitrary. Ted Wilson uh, in the general conference cannot arbitrarily just change stuff in our church. He cannot just make things happen. There are other churches in the world, not just the papacy, but other denominations where their leader is considered a prophet and, is, and their word infallible. We don't have that. That would be more cult-like. Some argue, well, we're a cult because we add to the Bible with the writings of the Spirit of Prophecy. We're going to have a whole session just on the writings of Ellen White. One apologetic just on that. But let me tell you something. Ellen White herself tells you that, this, that you are not to elevate her writings above the word of God. And the General Conference just, just re-established that in this last session. That ultimately what we believe is sola scriptura. Let me make this clear. I am a Seventh-day Adventist and would be a Seventh-day Adventist and believe everything I believe if there was not one writing from Ellen White. Everything I believe, every doctrine I believe is found in the Bible and the Bible alone. Period. And that's why you notice if you follow this set, this, these, 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 um, these, these, these messages, you notice that after a certain point, there were no more spirit of prophecy quotes. Because to make the point, you have to understand that we believe in the Bible and the Bible alone. That's what we believe. If the spirit of prophecy cannot confirm the scripture, the spirit of prophecy would have to be tossed away. So who is the remnant? Well, it's from the Greek word loipoi, um, remaining ones um, from lepo, to leave or to leave behind. That is the word found here. 
the remaining ones. And so what is the definition from the Oxford Dictionary of the remnant? Here it is. It is a noun, a small remaining quantity of something. And so initially the, the visual cue that you have is that it's like a long piece of cloth that has been used to make all kinds of uh, uh, you know, clothing and so forth. Um, and then there's a remnant. There's just a little piece left at the very end. It's a remnant because it is identical to the first cut of the cloth, but it is a small piece left over at the end. A piece of cloth or carpeting left when the greater part has been used or sold. A surviving trace. So look at this. Oxford Dictionary actually puts this in. Christian theology. A small minority of people who will remain faithful to God and so be saved. That's deep. Oxford Dictionary says, listen, that the remnant is a small minority of people who will remain faithful to God and so be saved. So go back to our verse, Revelation 12 and verse 17. Let's dig a little deeper into the remnant. And the dragon was wrought with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So you got to go a little deeper. Revelation 19.10 says, this is John speaking about the angel. And I fell at his feet to worship him. It's an angel. The angel says to John, see thou do it not. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren that have the testimony of Jesus the angel says to him, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So we see here, they, have the, they keep the commandments of God, and they have the testimony of Jesus. The angel tells us later on um, that he's, a, he's among the brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. He says, worship God, the testimony of Jesus is the what? Spirit of prophecy. So the remnant church will have the spirit of prophecy. So here are the characteristics of the remnant church. We're going to go through these five things that sh to show you who this remnant church is. Number one, and I'm going to give you the answers first. Normally I ask the questions first. I'm giving the answers first this week because it's easier, and then we'll explain the answers. Number one, it had to appear after 1798. Number two, to keep all the commandments of God. Have the spirit of prophecy. Number four, that was number three, have the spirit of prophecy. Number four, preach a distinct gospel message to all the world. And number five, they keep the faith of Jesus. Five, and you could make it seven, you could make it four. I've seen people do it, but let's just go through these. So number one, it arises after 1798. Why do we say that? Revelation 12, 6, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. Revelation 13, 5, and there was given him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue 40 and two months. We go back to Daniel 7.25 just to make the time frame. I've shown you this before. And he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws and they shall be given unto him, unto his hand, a time of times and the dividing of time. The Old Testament, Daniel, New Testament revelation says that there is a period of time. We're going to show his 1260 years under which there was complete, total domination and persecution of the people of God. Just as Revelation says. And that whatever happens, this represents the time that the woman was in the wilderness, meaning there was no organized church. They, 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 the church was in hiding. So whatever church is the remnant church has to come up after this time frame. So I'll give you another one. This is Daniel 7, the amplified version of the Bible. Verse 21. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. So the church, the true church, the people who truly serve God were in hiding. Um, and we know, I, I showed you this before, but I'll, I'll go through it again quickly. In 538 AD, the Ostrogoths, one of the tribes of Europe, abandoned their siege of Rome, and, and this left the bishop of Rome to exercise the prerogatives of Justinian's decree of 533 AD. The power and authority of the papacy grew. And remember we read this, the rise of the little horn, Justinian's code of 533 AD. Let me read it for you again to show you what happened during this 1260 years. The code of our Lord, the most sacred emperor Justinian, concerning the most exalted trinity and the Catholic faith, and providing that no one shall dare to publicly oppose them. And that's Justinian there. And look at this part of Justinian. The Justinian code is very broad. There are a lot of great laws and legal things that he wrote. But here's what it says, or one part of it. We order all those who follow this law to assume the name of Catholic Christians, and considering others as demented and insane. We order that they shall be bear the witness, bear the infamy of heresy, and when the divine vengeance which they merit has been appeased, 
They shall afterwards be punished in accordance with our resentment, which we have acquired from the judgment of heaven. So this is John, the bishop, the city of Rome, to his most illustrious and merciful son, Justinian. Among the conspicuous reasons for praising your wisdom and gentleness, most Christian of emperors, you have preserved reverence for the see of Rome, that's the Vatican, and have subjected all things to its authority and given it unity. And Vigilus ascended the papal chair in 538 AD under the military protection of Belisarius. And this is from the history, history of the Christian church. So 538 AD was complete control taken. This time period is mentioned uh, all these different times in the Bible, at least seven times. And we know the day year principle. I won't go through it. And you shall wander in the wilderness 40 years after the number of days which you have searched the land, 40 days, each day for a year. Ezekiel 4, 6, I have laid upon you a day for each year. So we know that 1,260 days is 1,260 years. How do we get the months when we make sense of the months? A month is 30 days and, and prophetically. Um, so when you say 30 days times 42 months, it's 1,260 years based on that day year principle. Just want to recap this real quick. Daniel 4.32, and they shall drive thee from men and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen. This speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, you'd remember. And seven times shall pass over you until you know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth to whomsoever he will. Seven times. How many years was he there out there in the field? So a time is a year. And so I could, you could show it all the different ways, a time, a time. And the dividing of times uh, all works out to 42 months, 1,260 days, 1,260 prophetic years. And here's a nice little diagram of it. In 538 AD, the papacy rises to power. It overthrows the Ostrogoths and it's wounded in 1798. 1,260 years of persecution. The papacy decreed power began in March of 538. Its degree death took place on February 15th, 1798 exactly 1,260 prophetic years of allotted rule which God gave the papal power. During this time, there was no official organized true church. Believers hid in the mountains and caves, grouped like the Waldenses, the Huguenots, and others hid or fled for safety in other parts of the world. So we know that this was a very serious time. In fact, some scholars say there were 50 million killed during the Dark Ages or during the Inquisition, and even more during the entire period. This is the National Catholic Register. They're questioning these numbers. They say, were 50 million people really killed in the Inquisition? Some anti-Catholic exploit myths, and da, da, da. so they're saying, no, it wasn't really 50 million. It was more, you know, maybe it was more like a million or two million. I'm not sure what number would be a good number to, for you to kill for people for believing what they want to believe. Um, not sure it gets any better if you cut the number down. Just the way I see it. But we often only, only think of what this did to the Christians in the world. But even others in the world who did not submit were also killed. The Pope apologized for Catholic Church's crimes against indigenous people. And this was something he went into South America and actually did. He apologized because millions of indigenous people in uh, South America and even in their schools in Canada that are having talks about this uh, where they found these mass graves. So during this time, as the Bible says, 1,260 years, all of these things happened. The church had to hide in the wilderness. People like Gal Galileo were questioned. Um, true learning, true science was suppressed. It was called the Dark Ages. Matthew 24, 21 says it was the Great Tribulation. And one of the things about the word remnant, one of the definitions I came across is a remnant is someone who's come through a great crisis, a great tribulation. And so... That's all that happens there. And of course, in 1798, the French general Berthier proclaimed the political rule of the papacy at an end. He took the Pope prisoner and brought him into exile. And with this, the Napoleonic uh, revolutionary government um, took control, shut down the church. And really, after that, the church did not come to great power after that until more recently. Now, what country in the world came into existence just before 1798? In 1776, the United States of America comes into existence. What is one of the hallmarks, as, as challenging as the history of this country can be at times, one of the hallmarks of this country, and we living in New England get to see this better than most, is that this country was established so that what happened during these times of persecution in Europe would no longer happen. When you go to Rhode Island, I was, you know, I was in New Hampshire recently, the, 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 the slogan for the state is, Live free or die. 
I'm choosing to live free. Amen. And if you, in Rhode Island, you can go to where, where it was literally established. The, the state of Rhode Island was established principally on the on the issue of religious freedom and freedom of conscience so that you could worship as you feel. America was designed that way. One of the reasons. So let's make this start. Make this making sense as we build through it, that the church, this remnant church could not exist till after 1798 is not only did the power uh, that was holding the world back in the dark ages for that 1260 years have to kind of re be wounded, as the scripture says, and be weakened. But there had to be somewhere in the world where such a church would be safe to grow. Let me tell you something. America, with all of its imperfection, is that place in the world where freedom was, uh, was, was, was granted enough that you could veer away from what everyone else believed and worship according to the dictates of your conscience. Most importantly, you could worship according to the way the Bible says worship is supposed to happen. That was not allowed. Remember, during the Dark Ages, the Bibles were chained in the, into, in the monasteries and, the, and in the cathedrals. And only the priests had an opportunity to read it and interpret it. Most of the people had no idea what was in the Bible. Even to this day, some of my Catholic friends tell me that they are discouraged from reading the Bible because they say it will confuse them. But you do not have the freedom of religion if you do not have the freedom to study the scriptures as you need to study it in order to come to know your God for yourself. Because you're not supposed to, don't miss this church, you are not supposed to base your uh, relationship with Jesus Christ on what some man says or having to go through a man to get to God. We are Christians. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus made a way for us. The Bible says we have therefore a high priest in heaven who's not touched with our infirmities. He was tempted in all points like we are, but guess what? He didn't sin. So when you're going through your trial, you don't have to go and, 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 and go into a confessional. You don't have to go and ask someone to pray on your behalf. You don't have to say something to a saint and hope the saint does a good job of relaying your message to, to, the, to, to the God of heaven. No, you can get on your knees in your house and call on the name of Jesus, claim the blood of Jesus, and your prayers will be answered. So how did this happen? Well, Doctrines were rediscovered. So as they were coming through these dark ages, John Wycliffe, the Bible was restored. Martin Luther, he reestablished that re salvation is righteousness by faith. Uh, John Calvin just talked about free grace. and that. So, but each church got a little bit more truth and moved away from Catholic teaching. Then the Anabaptist, God's law, biblical baptism, that's baptism by immersion. Um, and John Smith and the, what we now know as Baptist, they took biblical baptism. Then John James introduced the Sabbath and you had the Seventh-day Baptists, law and grace, conversion, sanctification, Methodists. And so as it, they moved away, but it wasn't until after 1798 that the last pieces fell in. Bible prophecy, the Advent movement, mission movement. So it, uh, until the time of the end and with each group, they got truth and then they stopped and then they got truth and then they stopped and they got truth and then they stopped. But God was looking for people who would take the truth and get the complete truth and put it all in one place. Any church that claims to be the remnant, God's church in these last days, will have to have all those biblical truths in one place. And let me tell you that this denomination, our church, has that. And one of the ways you know is that the second one is they keep all the commandments. They keep the commandments of God. This one was easy. Because there are people who say that the, 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 the Ten Commandments are done away with, that they were nailed to the cross. Remember, we talked about the Ten Commandments. The, the, what was nailed to the cross was the was the was the um, the law of Moses, which the Bible says it was handwritten, and it was tucked in the on the side of the Ark of the Covenant. The, what was the what was the Ten Commandments made out of? Who wrote the Ten Commandments? With his what? And it was put inside the Ark of the Covenant. Very different than the law of Moses. It was not, and and the, and the way God does this is to make it clear: you can't nail a stone to a cross. You try it. And so it, the, the, it, just the imagery of it makes it clear. The Ten Commandments are binding. And so the remnant church, the last day church, it's not that the last day church would just try and keep the commandments. We will still preach the Ten Commandments as the standard. And you know what's happening now? There are churches that are basically saying you don't really need to keep the commandments. In fact, I heard a, a very prominent preacher recently 
say that in fact, you know, you are a sinner and so you should just basically, you know, just accept all other sinners and basically there is no standard. Let me tell you something. If the Ten Commandments are done away with, there's no mirror. That's what it functions as. And when you see, when I see my condition, my sinfulness in that mirror, I know my need for Christ. Are you getting what I'm saying? If you do away with the mirror, there's no need for Christ. If, 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 if Jesus could have just done away with his law, there was no reason to go to Calvary. So let's, what does the Bible say? John 14 and 15. Jesus says, if you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Revelation 22, 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. Revelation 22, 14 said there's a blessing for doing the commandments. 1 John 5, uh, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and do what? And keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And I like what John says here. And his commandments are not what? They're not grievous. If your heart is in the right place, doing what God asks you to do is not burdensome. You know why it feels burdensome to us? Because we've bought the lies of the world. We've developed the palate for the things of the world. So one of the things, we, we can't gain victory. We can't keep the commandments in our own strength. We have to do it with Christ working through us. It is the power of God in us to transform. This is what the Bible says, have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you something. If you are struggling in sin, so easily beset by sin, one of the things, I say it all the time, you've got to stop looking down at yourself. You've got to stop looking down at your sin. You've got to stop studying your own faults and frailties. You've got to turn your eyes and look to Jesus. It is by beholding that we become changed. So if you're always looking at your own failures and your own faults, you'll never gain victory over sin. After a while, you got to say, you know what? It's not about me. It's about him and study him. Jesus says, learn of me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He will begin to carry the burden for you. Solomon says it like this in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and do what? And keep his commandments for this is the what? The whole duty of man. Fearing God is that process of being infused with the Holy Spirit. So that it is not me gaining, it's not in my own strength that I'm gaining victory over sin or that I'm keeping the commandments. I'm doing it because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you really love him, you wouldn't keep, keep sinning uh, purposefully against him because every time we sin, we crucify him afresh. Do you love him if you keep crucifying him on purpose? Let me show you how deep it gets. This is a, a, a book by Auntie Stanley, who is a major um, a megachurch pastor, uh, you know, internet TV ministry, all that kind of stuff. His book is Irresistible, Reclaiming the New That, the, the new that Jesus Unleashed for the World. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, uh, yeah, here's it. In this new book, Irresistible, Reclaiming the New That Jesus Unleashed for the World, Andy Stanley insists, the Ten Commandments have no authority over you. None. To be clear, thou shalt not obey the Ten Commandments. Page 136 of that book. Now, why is that relevant? I want you to get this. Because many of the denominations of the world now say the Ten Commandments don't really have to be kept. One of the signs of the remnant is that we preach that yes, we, we are to keep the commandments. What we don't preach is that you can do it on your own strength. But we know that the commandments are our guide and that we are our guide and that we are to follow Christ uh, by submitting ourselves to him so that we can keep the commandments. And one of the analogies someone told me at, at Oakwood, and I extend it now, was when I, when I got to Oakwood, was one of the guys from California said, it's like your life is like a car. And the problem for many of us is we want to drive the car. But if you're a Christian, you've got to get out of the driver's seat and Jesus has to get in the driver's seat. But he said, the problem is many of us get into the passenger seat and we keep telling Jesus how to drive the car. So eventually you got to get out of the drive, uh, passenger seat and get in the back seat. But then we become backseat drivers. One of the brothers said the only solution, Jesus got to lock you in the trunk. Spiritually. We need to be locked in the trunk. Our desires 
our, our proclivity to sin must be stashed away. Because one of the signs of the remnant church is that they keep the commandments of God. You know what that's a statement about? The character. And I want you to understand that when Jesus comes back, he's coming back for a church without spot or blemish. So it's not that you just throw your hands up and you say, you know, I'm, I'm going to be whoever I am. God has to accept me as I am. God will take you as you are, but he won't leave you as you are. That's the work of sanctification. Number three, this remnant church has the spirit of prophecy. Revelation 12, 17, again, and the dragon was wrought with the woman, went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I fell at his feet to worship him. You remember this one? Revelation 19, 10, we read a little earlier. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, see thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Look, he says, worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Revelation 22, 8 and 9 expands this and helps you to understand what this means for the end time church. Revelation 22, 8 says, and I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I heard and, and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel, which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, see thou do it not. This is the angel again. For I am thy fellow servant. And who is the brethren? And of thy brethren, the prophets. And of them which keep the saying of this book, worship God. The remnant church would have the spirit of prophecy. And the spirit of prophecy comes through prophets. One of the challenges, and we won't do that this week. And one of the things that people don't like about our church is the spirit of prophecy. And if you can figure that one out, you study that, there's a lot of peace that comes to you. But you cannot be the remnant church and not have the spirit of prophecy. In fact, I talk to Christians all the time from other denominations that say they're not worried about prophecy or their understanding of prophecy is totally off. There are people right now hoping that they build a temple in Jerusalem so that Jesus can come back and for 1,000 years rule the earth from Jerusalem. That's not biblical. Nowhere in the Bible is Israel a center of prophecy after um, the death of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus. Yet, these false prophecies and these false places, uh, prophetic things like the secret rapture, we talked about that. These are the things that tell you that they do not have the spirit of prophecy. Because the Bible is clear. Jesus says, every, the Bible says, every eye will behold him. How is it a secret? 1 Corinthians 1, 5 that in every, so why do you have the spirit of prophecy? That in everything you are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gift of prophecy, the spirit of prophecy is a gift that is left, we'll see in Ephesians 4. Uh, the gift of prophecy, why is it given? It's given so that we are enriched. So we have this testimony and Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 clarifies it. And he gave some apostles and some prophets. See that? Some are given the gift of, to be a prophet. And so I go to some churches, especially some, some of our, our, some of the black churches. And you go in there and the, I've gone to, to events and they've been like, I am prophet so-and-so. And I had one lady meet me in a, catch me in a grocery store of all places and come up to me and say, you know, I'm a prophet in my church and I'm going to prophesy over you. I said, you are really what are you going to prophesy oh god is going to bless you immensely god is going to do this for you and that and she just i said lady you could say that to anybody and it would make sense it's not that kind of this is not a parlor trick type of prophecy this isn't like somebody's reading tarot cards at the at the, uh, at the fair the prophecy we're talking about is the spirit of prophecy that not only uh, does a, a foretelling, it foretells. It is a prophecy that causes you to uh, have to reconcile your life with Christ. A lot of these people who call themselves prophets, they're, prop, they're, they're uh, promising people Bentleys and mansions. They're never going to get a Bentley. And yet, that's, they're going to church every week. Some of these mega churches, literally, you have, they, they, you have to turn in your W-2 form. Did you know that? You got to give the church a W-2 form, and then they calculate from your W-2 form what 10% is. And if you don't pay the 10%, you can't be a member of the church. And if you want to sit up front, you got to pay more money to sit up front. 
Did you all know that that's when you watch these televangelists, that's what's going on? You see how empty our front seats are? <laughs> Nobody paying to sit up here. I hope you're getting this. What we're talking about is prophecy that changes you. When I study prophecy, you know what Peter says, I, I quote this all the time. Peter says that there is a more sure word of prophecy in his writings. One of the reasons I am so convinced that my faith is not just hanging on, on nothingness. It's not that I'm not a 70 Adventist Christian out of the clear blue sky for no good reason, but that my mother and my grandmother and my great-grandmother were Adventists. I'm a 70 Adventist because when I study the prophecy, the prophecies are the, one of the greatest proofs of the authenticity of the scripture. The last one, or the second to last one we'll do, that's a few more slides. This church would preach a distinct message. Matthew 24 and verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations and then shall the end come. Whichever church is on earth at the end time will preach the gospel everywhere. The Seventh Adventist church has preached the gospel in every country in the world. Did you know that? It represents 100% of the nations of the world. I still think we have a lot of work to do. But we are, I've been to China and there's administration, communist China. We, we preached in communist Cuba. My wife and I went and we, we did something in Havana, in Cuba. And you make an appeal in some of these countries, people come down in droves because they're, they're starving for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, one of the signs that the gospel we preached everywhere. What gospel? Look at what the, the everlasting gospel is described as here in Revelation 14, 6. And I saw another angel. And we know we call this uh, the three angels messages, kind of like our church. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. This gospel will be preached everywhere. Verse seven, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. What is one of the messages of this remnant church? For the hour of his judgment is come. It's not it's coming. It's come. When did we? We did a whole series on the sanctuary. In 1844, we, we, we reconciled 1844 with the fact that Jesus moved into the most holy place and judgment began. No one else preaches that. But the hour of his judgment has come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. Literally almost taken out of the fourth commandment. Speaks to how this remnant church would worship. Revelation 14, verse 8, and there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen. It's fallen, that great city, because she made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. This church would declare the false of the spiritual, of, of, of the spiritual apostate churches. It would decry that Babylon is fallen. And all of the lies of Babylon would be exposed. You know, there's only one group of people left still exposing the lies of Babylon. It is politically incorrect. In fact, in some countries, it is forbidden. Even in Europe, I talked to some of the Adventists in Europe, there are things that they are no longer based from, the, from some of the places that you would not expect it to come from. They are told they cannot preach on these issues. And the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, and the mark of the beast is one of the other ones. I won't get too deep in that because that's another whole talk we're going to do. So, how is God worshipped as creator? I want to make this clear. Why, why the seven-day Sabbath is so important to us. Exodus 20 and verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. This gospel message is critical. The remnant church of the last days will carry God's final message to all the world. Here's the point. The message will include the judgment hours come, true Sabbath worship, the fall of spiritual Babylon, and the mark of the beast. There's nobody else preaching that. Revelation 14 and verse 12. Number five is they have the faith of Jesus. The last one. Here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. They have that. 1 John 5, 5. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believes that Jesus is the son of God. Revelation 12, 11, And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They loved not their lives unto death. First John 2, 6 is talking about the faith of Jesus. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. 
we have the faith, not, we don't just have, the, have faith in Christ, we're called to have the faith of Christ. And in that, we gain victory over sin. Last slide, Revelation 7, 14. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Let me tell you something. To be a part of the remnant does not mean that you have lived a perfect life. If so, you would not need to wash your robe in the blood of the Lamb. The remnant have been redeemed. When we talk about the seal of the living God, remember we said this seal of redemption. We, as, we are Christians. And let me tell you something. Being the remnant doesn't mean you're better than anyone else. It doesn't mean that only Seventh-day Adventists are going to be saved. Some people say that is absolutely not what we believe. We believe that people will live up to what they know and the ignorance of what they know. God will wink at their ignorance and they will be saved. That is not what we're saying. This is a call to action for those of us who believe. To be a part of the remnant church means that we live different than the world. We understand that we need to live according to God's dictates and that we have a distinct message of warning to give this world. The world is going to be at each other's throats for the next few years at least, fighting over all of these political issues. We have a different kind of message. We are trying to prepare people not to be better citizens of earthly kingdoms, but to be citizens of the heavenly kingdom. And I know some of us have messed up. I know you may have fallen into sin and you may not have always lived the way God says live, but I want to challenge you that being a part of the remnant means you have washed your robe in the blood of the Lamb. You've been forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven. And, Jesus, and the Bible says that God takes our sins and he casts them into the sea of forgetfulness. Somebody today needs to understand, I don't care how far into sin you went, God wants to forget your sin. And if he's willing to forget your sin, let me tell you something, church, you ought to forget your sin. There's victory in Jesus Christ. To walk in a way the world will not walk. The world is going to get, let me tell you, the world just gets more and more despicable and deplorable. And that's why they're going to hate the remnant the way they're going to hate God's people in the last days. Because they're going to be a group of people who, despite all the, uh, uh, the, the verbiage that the commandments that can't be kept, people can't live right. People can't live the way God says live. They're going to be a group of people who do live that way. And the anger of the entire world, I said this at the end, beginning of the message, they are going to unify against us. Because they're going to say, what is this group of people who, do, who are continuing to live the way God says live, despite a world that has gone into sin? Well, let me tell you something, church. Now is the time to get ready. Now is the time to put aside the sins that so easily beset us. I challenge you to study Jesus. Study what happened to him at the cross. Revelation 12 uh, is a very prophetic uh, chapter of scripture, but it is based in the fact that when Jesus died on the cross, he gained victory for all of us over the devil. He was cast out for good. He can no longer accuse you before God. That ought to liberate you. That if you make a decision for Jesus Christ today, he has everything he needs to save you and secure you for all eternity. And the devil and all his angels who are down one for one of them for two of God's angels, they have no power to keep you out of God's kingdom. You have to choose. Joshua says, choose you this day whom you will serve. Will it be God or will it be man? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the truth of the remnant church. Father God, you have put together a group of people We've come through great tribulation. Lord, many of us have failed and fallen. We've, we've messed up so many times in our lives and we're not even worthy of the breath you give us every morning when we wake up. But Father God, you are a good God and you want to save us. But Father God, I pray right now that there are those under the sound of my voice who don't think that they are, are redeemable. Lord, let, the, let Revelation 7, 14 resonate in their minds. They've come out of great tribulation. And Lord, they've washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Help them, Father God, to turn their robes over to you to be washed. And help us, Lord, to live for Jesus Christ. For the signs are being fulfilled all around us, Lord. Lord, we want to be ready for Jesus returns. 
with our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. May the church say amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.